This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we talk about what it's like to be a Christian Monday through Saturday, to live as a person of faith and a culture against faith. So let's wrap up feminism. Or feminist theology. Or feminist theology, more specifically. So last week we started the conversation about Rosemary Ruthers. Um, I think she's an amazing woman for feminism, for feminist theology, and liberation theology in general. She does, she does end up going down a road that's easy from liberation theology uh, into like process theology, and she changes kind of the understanding of Jesus to be unorthodox. Um, or outside the creeds. But other than that, her conversation about feminist theology is great. And last week we talked about kind of the three principles that she needs as kind of a foundation for the launching of her own feminist kind of theology and liberation. And... So much of her initial argument exists upon sexism Mm -hmm. uh, and this kind of patriarchal system that oppresses women, that took away their voice. She ends up writing this book called Women in Redemption where she just traces all the stories of these miraculous women and the way that they've affected Christianity and like how Christianity has forever been changed by all these women. Um, and so I want to pose you this question. Um, do you think sexism exists in the church? Absolutely. Do you think sexism exists in the culture? Yes. So that's Rosemary's entire point is that so much of this narrative has to be rewritten. Mm-hmm. Because everything has been male forward. Right. She ends up even, and this is kind of what sparks the terrible part of her theology at the end, but she ends up being really troubled by the fact that the dominant metaphor for God is father and son. Hmm. And she messes up because then she wants to go to Paul Tillich and kind of use his ground of being understanding and she what she wants is she wants a general gender neutral language for god Mm -hmm. so she comes up with primal matrix that's her idea of gender neutral i don't think that that's helpful at all um but i do think the question that she's wrestling with is helpful yeah that's you know we did the podcast a couple of weeks ago can we call god mother right and if you listen to that my answer to you was yes i i don't think there's anything wrong with you calling god mother i do it frequently in my own prayers but in that we ascribed a feminine gender to god Rosemary's biggest problem is that sexism exists. And so she doesn't want to flip it the other way. She wants to come up with some kind of gender neutral language or understanding of God. Mm -hmm. Now, if I asked you, Clayton, is God male? What would you say? I don't know. 
No, no, no. Like, okay. Let, let me male ask. male nor female. Like, well, let me ask you. Well, when you talk about God, what's your, what's your like normal pronoun? He. So your metaphor of God is is rooted masculine. in a masculine yeah. kind of understanding. So God's out. I'm trying to look because now I'm actually really like I want to solve mm. what is some gender neutral language for God because God's out because it, it naturally comes with a male metaphor. Um, the one that I typically like to use when I'm looking for this is creator. Almighty. Um, well, think of Zeus almighty. Uh, the almighty Zeus. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, yeah, I mean, I guess so. so. I still have a, I still have a male construct with some conversation of Almighty. Um, but I think if anything, like any term you use that goes back to God, will come with a male connotation. And what about you use Mother? Well, but then you've given her, her no, feminine. That's what I'm saying. Is that everyone's brains is hardwired to go one way or the other? What about divine? I call God divine, just general divinity regularly. I actually do that too. Um, I don't, I, I put that more in like a pneumatological, like right. it, it doesn't actually have a gender. Right. I mean, yes, but doesn't, wouldn't most people's brains still go divine? God. Maybe, and that that's that's a problem that's going to persist, right? right? We're not going to solve I, that problem overnight. Right. But if we never start trying to solve the problem, we never will. Yeah, I I just don't know if there is a way to give God a, a gender neutral name. Do you think it's important that we do that? I think it could be. I've never had to ask this question before. Well, um, and that's why I'm asking you all these questions because yeah. I know this is not even a theology podcast. No. And yet we're taking it down this road. And so I'm sure our listeners are going to be asking these exact same questions. I'm sure. And I think that it could be really helpful and really important to consider this idea. And I think that the way uh, this is going to sound really postmodern of me, but. If you believe Jesus, right, and you are inside the creeds, use whatever name feels most comfortable for God. I, yes, but... In a way, right? Like, well... I'm not saying that God can be anything. Well, God is God. Yeah. But... No, no, no. I, I don't have any qualms with with your theological idea, my possible qualm is you said whatever makes you feel comfortable. In the moment, yeah. Don't, no, no, no. So in a spiritual moment, maybe mm -hmm. sure. But what I'm talking about is if sexism exists mm -hmm. and this conversation of sexism does exist, even in our understanding with God, then if we don't start finding gender-neutral ways to talk about him, like we may never get there. Mm -hmm. And so our metaphor for God is going to persist in how long it takes getting over this kind of feminist fight. Right. 
And so I'm looking. And so there are going to be a lot of people that are not comfortable using gender neutral language for God. Um, what he's telling them that they have to, though. Like, well, I mean, I kind of want them to. Yeah, like, cool. But I, there's always going to be those people that won't. There will be. There will be. But for those that are connected to Wellhouse and trying to get better, this is something that I really want. I want them thinking about. Um, not in a not in a way of we could call him Taylor. <laughs> you know, it could go either way. Like, no, you know, <laughs> I'm kidding. It was a joke. Oh my god, it was a joke, and it was funny too. <laughs> it was not funny. <laughs> the only funny part about it was that you thought it was funny. You laughed because you laughed because it was funny. <laughs> it was not funny. It was funny that you thought it was funny and laughed at your own joke. How many times did you laughed at me for that? For like laughing at your own joke, mm-hmm. a lot. But like you always say, your argument is very valid. I make jokes. I make for jokes me. for me. That is true. So I I do want us thinking about this conversation of not only giving masculine metaphors for God as well as trying to come up with gender neutral language for God because I do think that. Um, I do think it can create some hurdles for people. Sure. Um, and I do think it contributes to the sexism that exists in the world. Yes. And so I do want to like push people in the direction of solving that issue. Yeah. There are going to be people that are not going to do it and be uncomfortable. Yeah. But I think anyone that starts doing this is going to feel a little uncomfortable when they first start. I think so. Um, So that's the only reason I wanted to correct your comfort language. Um, But once she sets up the initial part of this argument, we're going to skip the rest of it because it leads her down process theology and all kinds of terrible landing spaces. But that next section of her kind of argument for why this needs to happen is actually, I think pretty convincing of the need that she wants to like the validity of what she's trying to do right. because it hinges on uh, a lady named Pamela Dickey Young's work, which she says that women experience their body different from men in five ways. Now, What does Genesis 1 say? That God made male and female Mm. in his image. Right. He created them and likeness. Both genders are given this divine likeness. Right. We have naturally made it a male-dominated metaphor, even down to the sign of the covenant throughout Exodus being circumcision like everything goes through this male kind of agenda but i think she's right women experience their bodies different and their body just in the way a female body works different from a male body she experiences her body different which is still image and likeness right and so this is her five ways Women experience their bodies differently is number one. 
women have different social socialized experiences. Do you think that still exists today? Yes. Yeah, absolutely, right? Women yeah. still have very different social experiences. Yeah. Absolutely. Very few men have to go to a bar and worry about being drugged. Yeah. That's a constant fear. Like when our sister who's single and 29, 30, 29? 29. Uh, tells me that she's going out to a bar or something. I always tell her, like, okay, don't leave your drink around. Like, always keep your drink with you. Be very careful. Like, women have to worry about that. Guys don't. When I go to my, when I go to a bar, I, I don't care. Like, it, I don't have that same fear. Yep. The social experience of a woman is very different. Women now have feminized consciousness. Walk that out. So what I think she's arguing is that prior to this, or prior to this kind of rise of feminism, women kind of had a consciousness that they were told to have by men. Mm-hmm. I think World War II really changes that and they begin to have this feminized consciousness. I think that's what she's suggesting. Mm. Okay. And so now women are thinking for themselves in a new way. Okay, that, that seems to make sense. Women have different historical experience. Oh, 100%. That's definitely true. Yeah, can't deny that. Very, very true. No one can deny that. And lastly, women have different individual experiences that can serve as catalysts for change. Mm. I think one of the reasons one of the reasons that I love feminist theology so much is because I do think the individual stories of women as oppressed people are stories that can be catalysts for change. Their yeah. individual experiences, their stories can be catalysts for change. This is a huge problem. Like the for me, this is a massive problem. And you know, people ask me all the time, well, you're Baptist, why are you not Southern Baptist? It's because of this issue. Southern Baptists oppress women. Um, I want women to have a voice. Mm-hmm. I am very grateful to Rosemary for the work that she's done for feminism, feminist theology, and liberation theology. I don't love where she ended up. Right. Like, she's not convincing me of the rest of her theology. But I'm grateful for this conversation because I hear her story in her writing, I hear her passion for liberation. I feel the way, like I, I sense her passion, her well, and her hurt, the her pain, the way that she's been oppressed. Yeah. Um. And this is, this is the power of the gospel, right? It's in the story. Their stories in the way that they experience the gospel and Jesus as a liberator 
and a liberating king. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's the other thing that like good Orthodox feminist theologians, like it's the ultimate man, the ultimate king to liberate this other gender. I think that in some of what we do in these conversations is we get really uncomfortable because somebody's asking me to change a whole lot of what I do and I'm messing with faith, Mm. right? That's the other thing, right? What are, what are some things you don't mess with? My dog, my faith, my politics, Right, like three things don't touch. Yeah, I think that's most people's understanding, and I'm asking you to really wrestle with this because I think even these simple things, I think they contribute to the oppression. Yeah, um, and I know it's not easy. Like nobody's suggesting that this is just a simple one over, but for me. This is a podcast about faith and culture. And for me, our culture needs this expression of faith. This is not something that we can just continue to do what we've done because it's not working. Yeah. We've got to try something new. Um, and as I've said in our, in our episode on Can We Call God Mother?, and now in this episode of listening to a feminist theologian, um, I think I think these things need to be implemented. Um, these things right here. Um, I would love for us to find an expression for the name of God that is gender neutral, that doesn't put us in danger of being unorthodox. Right. Um, so like in the comments, please don't come to me with like Paul Tillich. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I'm, I'm not interested in the ground of being. Um, don't come to me with anything that's process theology based. Don't, don't come to me with anything like that. I'm looking for something inside the creeds that is a gender neutral way of talking about God. And I'm also looking for us to begin thinking about the feminine idea of God. Um, number one, I think that's a care moment. Yeah. Um, and as I've said several times, you know, there are plenty of Bible references you can go to um, where God uses mother metaphors, which would naturally be feminine. There, there are all kinds of things that you can do with that. So it's not like, it's not like you're, that's a far stretch. No, like it's absolutely there. But I also think it's proof that the narrative has been dominated by men. Yep. Men chose those expressions for God over others to create a tradition and a culture that continued in sexism. Yep. Um, that continued in oppression. I think for me, One of the biggest things is 
that these women, these human beings made in the image of God, made in the image and likeness of God, are feeling oppressed because of something they cannot control. Just like you don't get to pick your family, you don't get to pick your gender or the one you're born with. Right. It's wrong that women are oppressed in any way because of something they had no control over, which is also said to be the divine image and likeness of God. Hmm. We must be better. We must love our feminine neighbors better. So if it makes us a little bit uncomfortable to change some of these things, I think there's a lot of thing God that, things that God asks us to do that are uncomfortable and need for change. Least of all, love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs>